Hey, welcome. Welcome, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're telling stories about grace. Welcome to you on the internet. We're really just glad that you're here. We want to, want to tell some stories of grace. Lee Strobel did a great job last weekend. If you didn't get a chance to hear him, go online and hear that. It was incredible, wasn't it? Um, but before we do, let me, let me just give you a couple of uh, little family, family notes here, okay? Here's a picture of la- last night we had Pastor Brian from our uh, Lockport campus and his wife and, uh, and, and kids because uh, they have just accepted a call to go to California um, where, you know, all the smart people move, evidently, and um, uh, take a church there. Now, um, it's, it's a really super cool thing. Brian has been our Lockport campus pastor uh, for the seven years that we've had a campus in Lockport, um, but he's going to go take a church in California. He is going to go uh, be the lead pastor of this church uh, when the senior pastor retires, which is happening like in the next year. And uh, it's a church of 2,000 out in California, and there were 180 applicants, and they picked our guy, okay? Okay. I just want to say that. I'm proud of him. I, I'm uh, really just proud. I'm proud of, I mean, you know, we found Brian came here 13 years ago, but even before they were married, and they've been a part of our church and, and came on staff, and we found different places for them to lead, and his leadership just keeps going and going, and uh, it's just, it's a really cool thing. I know some of you are like, oh, if he's going to go preach for a guy who's retiring, why don't you just retire and let Brian stay here? And I'm thinking about it, but it, it, this guy's 13 years older than me, okay? So give me some time, and then go get Brian and bring him back, and everything's going to be good. We're just excited about it. Another thing I, uh, I want to announce is uh, there's a movie that comes out this weekend called Little Boy. It's a, it's a movie that was uh, done, it's a, it's a Christian-based movie called Little Boy. It's done by Mark Burnett, who produces The Voice and, and Survivor and all that stuff, and his wife, Roma Downey, the Touched by the Angel Lady. They're great people who do uh, Christian things and have the resources to be able to do it. Uh, so I want to encourage you, I got to see it Friday night. I want to encourage you to see it. It's on it. It's on it, Marcus and Orland. I want to encourage you to see it because it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good way to, you know, I mean, Kevin James from King of Queens is in it. There's some good acting. It's not a cheesy Christian movie, and I want to I want to support that. The second thing is about that is the AD series. It's on on Sunday nights, twelve uh, week miniseries on NBC. You got to understand. I mean, the, the, Mark and, and Roma. I got to meet them a couple of weeks ago. They've got Hans Zimmer doing the score. And uh, the people that did the effects for Gladiator did the special effects. And it's really unbelievable. And it's on NBC. This is the story of what happened after Jesus left. It's the book of Acts, basically. And it's on NBC because it is that good. So I just want, I want to encourage you. You know, these are some things we ought to be paying attention to as, as a community of believers. Sometimes Christian stuff is really crummy, <laughs> I mean, really, you know? And, and so I, I, I'm, when it's not, I'm going to tell you. If it is, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. Don't support it. But if it's not crummy, I, I, I'm going to say, hey, do this. And then one more thing. I got, I got a note from the Society of the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals asking me to put a plea out to you to, uh, to just um, knock that stuff off. Okay, come on. <laughs> That's all I got. It's a serious thing. There are, there are animals being messed up mentally all around our area. We're doing, a, we're doing a case for grace because the beauty of grace is something that a lot of Christians just don't get. And if you don't get grace, you live in this weird place where your mind is never really fully relaxed. I played golf with Bill Brown, our executive pastor, on Friday. After the front nine, he was beating me by nine or like six strokes or something. I mean, he's just playing really, really great. 
So uh, one thing I'm good at is getting in people's heads. I don't know if you know that. Some of you said I've done that with you. So I thought, well, if I can't beat him, I'll mess up his brain. So we're playing with some other people uh, that didn't necessarily know who we were. And, uh, you know, I mean, they kind of by this point knew we were pastors. But as he got up to the 10th tee box, I said, so, Bill, how's your cocaine habit? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I did. And, 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 and you know, he, he, he kind of laughed. And they all kind of laughed, you know, like, uh, uh. He shanked the ball so bad, you cannot even possibly imagine. He took an eight on that hole. He got a snowman, you understand? Uh, now, that, to be clear, Bill has never had a cocaine habit. And to be clear, he still beat me by eight strokes as he was playing out of his head that day. Uh, but but that, that's kind of the picture of what Christians live like if they don't get grace, if they don't understand the freedom and the love. If you can't get up to the tee box and relax and know that God loves you, you're going to shank the ball every time. Grace is defined as unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. It's favor from God that we don't deserve. And the word is used 156 times in the New Testament. And it's always used to say God gives you favor that you don't deserve. Here's probably the key verse in the New Testament. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. You are not saved because you are good. You're not saved because you're kind of good. You're not saved. It doesn't have anything to do with you whatsoever. It has only to do with God. That's what grace is. And if you can live in that, you're going to relax. If you, if you can't, it's not going to work. You're going to be a Christian who basically you just don't believe it. I think that's the problem. I think at the end of the day, we just go, I really can't believe that there's a God in heaven who would want me to be his child want me to be in his family. It's an unbelievable story. My unbelievable story of the week, if you didn't see me tweeted or on Facebook, was the guy who shot the armadillo. Did you guys see this? He, he, he shot, okay, I know you don't know what armadillos are because you're northerners, right? They're the, like, you know, they don't live up here. They only live down south and they're nasty. They're like a possum with a, a shell on it and, and they all need to die, Okay. I mean, like they carry disease, they dig up stuff. You know, if you're driving through Texas and you see one, just run over it. Put a cub uniform on it, run it over. Okay, it's all, that's what, that's, that's what, it's, that's what they're there for, okay? They just need to be wiped out. So, so down in Georgia, they're really, there's such a problem that the, like literally the law enforcement officials are saying, you need to just kill them, whatever you can. So this guy's got an armadillo out in front of his house, 100 yards from his house, true story. He takes his nine millimeter Glock and he, and he shoots it, and he kills it. But the bullet ricochets off of the armadillo somehow in the process of killing it. It ricochets off the armadillo, hits a fence, and bounces through the front door of his house that's 100 yards away. Goes through the front door of his house into the recliner, the back of the recliner that his mother-in-law is sitting in. <laughs> And shoots her in the back. Now, now she's fine. She got up and, I mean, it was only a flesh wound. It was not, you know, it, she didn't die. It wasn't one of those. But you, you, you hear that story. Please go look it up. It's a true story. There's no way that possibly happened, right? I, I mean, how long would it have taken him to set up the angle of that shot? I'm going to shoot my mother-in-law. Come over here, Armadillo. I, I had one guy tweet me back, where can I get an Armadillo? There's no way. There's no way. 
It's not possible, okay? And when we hear, you hear that, you're just like, I can't believe that. There's no possible way. That's what it feels like sometimes when you go, is it really possible that there's a God up in heaven that loves me so much that he would send his son to die on a cross and pay for all of my sins and take me to heaven and, live, and let the Holy Spirit dwell inside of me? If you don't get that, you're going to shank the shot every time. Brennan Manning said, the American church today accepts grace in theory but denies it in practice. We say we believe the fundamental structure of reality is grace and not works, but our lives refute our faith. By and large, the gospel of grace is neither proclaimed, understood, or lived. Too many Christians are living in the house of fear and not in the house of love. That's why we're taking some time to talk about grace. And I preached about how the key to understanding God and loving God, the first commandment is to love God. The key is to realize that he's your dad. And there is a great story in the, in the Bible, my favorite story in the Bible that Jesus told is in Luke 15, about the gracious dad. You probably know it better as the prodigal son. And I preached about this on, in Life on Mission back in the fall, but I talked about the older brother part. I want to talk about the son part today, and, and I want to talk about who God is as our, as our great dad so that you can get grace, okay? But before I get into that, I did some research even though I preach on this a lot, it's my favorite text, I looked up prodigal because I thought, I wonder if I really know what prodigal means. And I looked it up and, it, and the prodigal means extremely wasteful. I always thought prodigal was like wild or bad or whatever, you know, as a prodigal child, right? They, they ran away. But that's not what it means. It means extremely wasteful. So, 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 so what that means is that this story of the prodigal child is not really necessarily about how he acted. It's about what he wasted. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Because when we don't live in the grace of God, we are wasting the grace of God. We are wasting the love that he wants to give us. So I said it this way. The real tragedy is not the fact that we run away from the Father. The real tragedy is the love and the grace that we are wasting. Jesus tells this story because he's being criticized for hanging out with the people who are far from God. And the problem is, in Jesus' day, like in every day, there are the, the, the believers, the God believers, back in Jesus' day, in our day, churches full of people who think they don't really need much of God's grace because they've kind of taken care of their own stuff. And they're all wrong. And so Jesus tells this story. There's, he also tells this story because there were a group of people around that were so far away from God that they think there's not enough grace to go around that can't probably cover, possibly cover me. And both of those groups of people were wrong. And Jesus wanted to clarify that. So, so he, he gives us this story because he wants you to understand that you can't be good enough to not need God's grace and you can't be bad enough to not be able to deserve his grace. To those people, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Those are, the, those are the ones he came for. And the problem is we're all sick. We all need a doctor. So Jesus tells three stories. A woman loses a coin, searches the house and finds it. A guy loses his lost sheep. He searches until he finds it. And then this guy loses a son, and he can't go searching for the son because he doesn't know where he's gone. So he has to wait around for him to come home. He, he told this story for the people who think that the older brother represents the people who didn't think they were that bad and didn't need much of God's grace. But the part we're going to settle on is the part about the son who thought, I'm so far away, there's no possible way I could deserve it. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I want to compare us to the prodigal son. So let's just ask this question. How are we like the prodigal? Okay, the first thing that he does is he asks for the inheritance. Now, to us, that doesn't seem that big a deal because we don't understand the Middle Eastern culture. It was the custom in this culture for the father to give money to the kid whenever he felt like it or when he died. I mean, there was, this was a, a complete insult for this kid to go, hey, I want my money. I'm out of here. All right? This is not, in, in the Pastor Brian context of leaving and going to California, this is not Pastor Brian saying, hey, I'm out of here, you know, give me a bunch of sermons, I'm going to California, okay? That's a good thing. We're gonna, I, can't, I can't wait to see what God does through that, because there comes a time when, when you, you, know, you grow up and you, and you move out. This would have been Pastor Brian saying, hey, Tim, why don't you die so I can be the pastor of Parkview? which to my knowledge, he's never said, okay? And the reality of the fact is, you know, all, everybody in my family seems to be growing up and moving to California, so he's going to grow up, he's going to move to California, he's going to go do this. This is all healthy. They should grow up, and they should leave your house. Some of you are like, just go, I'll write you a check, just go, okay? The, the, the context of this is a complete insult. What this young man is saying to his dad is, I want what's coming to me, when you die, and I'm not going to wait till you die to get it. In other words, it is, I want to live as if you were dead right now. Does that help? That's a little different translation, isn't it? How are we like the prodigal? We're wasting all the good that God wants to give us, and we're living the way we want to, and, and we're basically living insulting God. Sure, I believe in God, and I want him to take me to heaven when I die and all that stuff, you know, but don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me how to run my business. Don't tell me how to manage my money. Don't tell me how to react to my neighbor. So we run away. Some of us run a little bit away. Some of us run a long way away, but we run away, and we're running away from the Father. The second thing we're like the prodigal is he wasted it on wild living. Not long after that, it says, the younger son got together all he had, which was basically his dad's money, and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. All right? Kindergarten teacher was out, kind of pretty sick for a while, two weeks, like, had a substitute. Substitute wasn't really a teacher, just like a warm body. And, uh, and so she would, every day she would get there, and she would just start reading stories, and then she would get to the end of the story, and she would say, and the moral of the story is, kids. And at first, you know, the kindergartners are like, oh, all right, this is cool. And then after a while, you get kind of tired of that, you know? Even the kindergartners did. So when the teacher came back, one of the kids goes, hey, teacher, I'm, we're so glad you're back. We like you so much better than that substitute teacher. And the teacher was flattered, but she was like, well, I'm a little curious. Why do you like me better? And the little girl looked her in the eye and said, because you don't have any morals. His father had spent a lifetime working for this money. This kid pulls it up and takes off, and he wastes it, okay? Think about it. Put yourself in this father's position. You've worked, you've slaved, you've saved up, you've done all this. You give it to your kid, and they go off and waste it. I mean, it wouldn't have been so bad if it would have got lost or if it would have gotten stolen, but no, it, it was wasted. I mean, my kids move up. They, 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 I give them money. I've helped them. You know, I'm like probably right about now making my last college payment ever. Can I just get a hallelujah from you old people? 
My, every once in a while, it just goes ding, ding, ding in my brain. It's like that moment, you know? You thought when they got out of diapers, you know, you thought, you thought, you know, it never goes away, you know? Now they need money for a house. It never goes away. It's all good. But, but, but I'm going to support them. I'm going to help them because they're going to be responsible with it for the most part. I'm not going to support a habit. I'm not going to give them money if they're going to go off and waste it. That's an even greater insult than what he did in the very beginning. He wasted it on wild living. In other words, he said, I want to do what's good for me. Not what you taught me, not what you wanted me to do. Yeah, I know the Bible says this. Yeah, I know God wants this. But I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live like you're dead. I'm going to do my own thing, and then what's going to happen? How are we like the prodigal? He became a pig feeder. Hang with this. Okay, remember, he's a, he, this, these are all Jews, okay? He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, which you will always do at some point, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. And he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Okay? Remember, he's Jewish. He's Jewish. Jews, pigs, right? You know this, right? Pork is not kosher. They were unclean. When we went to Israel um, on our last trip, it, the weird thing, I mean, you, you, if you go with me next time I go, it's an awesome trip. It, it's so fun to go over there, but, you know, there's some quirky little things. Like there's an elevator. When you get on an elevator in, in Israel, there's a Sabbath elevator so if it happens to be Saturday and you get on this elevator, you're not supposed to push any buttons on the Sabbath. That's considered work. So you just have to go up the Sabbath elevator every floor. You just want to hope you're not on like that 18th floor of the hotel. There's some quirky little things. So in the morning you have eggs because eggs were okay, but there was never any pork and you could never have eggs and bacon unless you were in our group. <laughs> because somebody who shall remain nameless brought pre-cooked bacon from Costco in their suitcase so that we could have bacon and eggs in Jerusalem, and I did. I just want you to know that, okay? I did. I'm not Jewish. I'm good with it. I ate bacon and eggs in Jerusalem. Well, here's why that's so important. Uh, they would have they listened. They would have read that. They, they would have they heard this story and gone, oh, pigs? Because that's like the lowest thing he could possibly do. How, do, how, how, are, how am I a pig feeder, Tim? Oh, no, you're going to end up, if you run away from God, you are going to end up in the last place you would ever think you would be. Am I right or am I right? It's happened to me. It's happened to you. It's going to happen. It happens all the time. Here I am. I wake up over here. I'm like, wow, I'm feeding pigs. How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. You ran away from God. So, so what do we learn about God through all of this. Really think the thing that would have blown them away as much as the pig deal is that, that the father would have allowed him to leave in the first place. I don't know about you, but when I went to my dad with attitude, um, it didn't usually work out very well. He usually said something like, son, I brought you into this world and 
Okay, so you know my dad. Um, <laughs> your dad said that too, right? And, and, and again, especially in this culture, such a sign of disrespect, the, the, the shock on those people's face when, they, when Jesus even told the story in the beginning that the father would allow him to leave had to have been insurmountable. You can't, that, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Why is that important? The father here does what no father would have done because the father in heaven is a father like no father you've ever seen before. And that includes the fact that he will let you leave. He will let you feed the pigs. He will let you go off and do whatever it is you want. If you were here for Easter, you heard me talk about how Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to go on. He didn't want to budge into those guys, you know, those, their house. He was like, I'm just going to go on if you, you know, I'll see you guys later. And they said no, because he's not going to kick the door in. Remember I talked about that? God is never going to force himself on you because love cannot force itself on you. When the Bible tells you that God loves you, he's going to love you, and that love includes freedom to go screw up your life. And the goofy thing is, he is God, you guys, so he knows where you are. He knows what's going on. Somebody sent me this. I thought it was classic, right? <laughs> God knows where Waldo is. He knows. He knows what's going on, but he's still going to allow you to go away if, if you want to. It's up to you. But, but the part that goes with that is he won't shield you from the pain. N not always, not necessarily. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes, my favorite cartoon, uh, it's Christmas time. Calvin throws a snowball, hits Susie. You know, if you ever followed Calvin and Hobbes, you know that was kind of the, the common thing. And then he thinks about Santa. He's like, uh-oh, I'm going to be in trouble. So he says, I'm sorry. And she says, not as sorry as you're going to be. And she chases him down, and all you can see are his feet. And he says, I think as long as you suffer for your sins, they don't count. And Hobbes says it's your only hope. Sometimes you are going to suffer for your sins. Not to pay for them, but just because you ran over here. You, you, you ran away from God. And God's not always going to step in. I mean, he, he may. You can ask. He may step in and help you to deal with the consequences of, of your behavior. But sometimes he lets you run away and, and experience pig feeding because until you experience this, you're probably never going to turn around and come home. I mean, if the prodigal son would have run off and lost all his money in wild living and then found some other rich friends and started mooching off of them and, ha and kept hanging out, he probably never would have gotten to the point where he would have turned and come home. And sometimes God has allowed bad things to happen in my life that I brought on myself so that I would go, oh, wait, that's me. I don't want to do that. I need to come back home. And maybe he's doing the same thing for you right now. There may be a reason why you're feeling this. There may be a reason why life is falling apart. There may not be a reason. Please don't read too much into this. We live in an imperfect world with a curse. But it's always good to think, is it time to turn around and come home? He longed to fill his stomach, let me read this again, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned. So he got up and he went to his father. You know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that repentance. If you've lived like you wished God was dead, if you selfishly wasted his grace, and you felt the pain of living outside the will of God, all you need to do is turn around and go home. Sometimes we think repentance, you hear preachers, they're like, you need to repent, <laughs> right? Pretty good. Repent. You need to repent, sinner, okay? 
And and what they mean, at least what it feels like they mean, is you need to stop sinning. Good luck with that. You're not going to get the power over sin in your life until you come home. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you to help you with that. Repentance is about turning and coming home. When we take communion in a moment, we would love to help you. We have people to pray with you at every one of these tables around here. You can fill out your communication card. We, we, will, we would love to help you, but you don't really need us. All you need to do is say, God, I'm tired of feeding pigs. I'm sorry that I ran away. Can I come home? Because the best part of the story is he will always welcome us home. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Can, can I, I mean, that could be enough, couldn't it? I mean, God's looking at you. He's looking at what's going on in your life, and he has compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. And the father said, he interrupted. He said, what, you're grounded? No. He said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Some things you need to know about this is, um, you know, for one thing, the fact that the father ran to the son, if you haven't ever heard this before, really, really important. Again, the audience would have said, what? He ran? Even Aristotle said, great men never run. To which I say, amen. I mean, forget that. Huh? <laughs> um, here, here's, the, here's the reason. Great men are run too. Great men are, you know, important men, the CEOs and the popes of the world and the, and the important people. They don't run. They are run too. They walk slowly like John Wayne. That's what they do because they're important. Running is done by desperate people, by children, by needy people. Great men never run. That's what Aristotle meant. But this father didn't care about his dignity. He didn't care about the robes. He didn't care about the people watching. All he cared about was you. All he cared about was the prodigal. That's all he cared about. And, and he sees this son, and he grabs him, and he kisses, it says he kisses him. But the, but the word there really means he continued to kiss him. He threw his arms around him and, and just continued to kiss him because that's how God feels about the prodigal. That's how God feels about you. That's the heart of God. That is exactly what Jesus is trying to say. Now, he goes on and talks about the older brother. We've, we've done that. And the older brother didn't think the younger son deserved it. And sometimes you'll run into people that are like that. I'm going to tell you, that's not who we are. I don't like those people. We're a church for the prodigals. Let me read you a paraphrase of this story, brilliantly written by Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. It kind of helps put a little modern spin on it for you. A young girl grows up in a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents have been old-fashioned. They overreact a lot to her nose ring, her music, the length of her skirts. They ground her a few times, and she just gets madder. I hate you, she screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument. That night, she acts on a plan she has rehearsed scores of times, and she runs away. 
She's visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to watch the Tigers play. And because of the newspaper reports in Traverse City about the lurid, gang, the lurid details of gangs and drugs and violence in downtown, Chicago, downtown Detroit, she concludes that it's the last place for her parents to look for her. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, for a year. And the man with the big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things. Since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally she thinks about the folks back home, but their lives now seem so boring she can hardly believe she grew up back there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on the back of a milk carton with the headline, Have You Seen This Child? But by now she has blonde hair and a lot of makeup and body piercing. Nobody would recognize her. After a year, the first signs of illness appear. And it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. Before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple of tricks at night, but they don't pay much. All the money goes to support her habit. When the winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on the metal grates outside a big department store, although sleeping is the wrong word. Teenage girl at night in downtown Detroit can never relax. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night as she lied awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden everything about her life looked different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl, lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty. She's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight beneath her and shivers under the newspaper she's pulled atop her coat. And something jolts a memory, and a single image fills her mind. May in Traverse City, when a million cherry trees bloom all at once. God, why did I leave? She says to herself. Pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do. She's sobbing. She knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. It's the cry of the human heart to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but the third time she decides she might as well. So she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I'm wondering about coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and I'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for the bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City. During that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and missed the message? Should she have waited another day until she could go talk to them? Even if they are home, they probably thought she was dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech that she's prepared for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's, it's not your fault. It's mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over in her mind, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in a long time. 
When the bus finally rolls into the station, the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, 15 minutes, folks, it's all we've got. 15 minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in the mirror, smooths her hair, and walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of a thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepare her for what she sees. Because there in the bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of about 40 brothers, sisters, aunts, great aunts and uncles, cousins, a grandmother, and a great-grandmother to boot. And they're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers. And taped across the entire wall of the bus terminal is a banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares, tears quivering in her eyes like mercury, and begins her memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry. He interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet is waiting for you at home. Yeah. Good. Jesus says that is how God feels about you. That is it. And here's what I know about Parkview. We're always going to be about the prodigals. You'll have to pry the prodigals out of my cold, dead hands someday because that's what we exist for. Because the key to all of these stories in Luke 15 is after the second story when Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's what it's all about. That is our mission. That is what we do. And besides that, you just need to know this. There's not a person in this church who's all the way back home. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, I said it this way. We are a church full of people on our way back home. So we're going to do this together, and we invite you to join us. Our mantra from an old evangelist named C.T. Studd. Some wish to live within the sound of the chapel bell, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. You're welcome to join us. God be with us as we think about what it means to live in grace, to live in freedom, to step up to the tee box, not worrying about what somebody else thinks, not worrying about what you think, knowing that we live in the grace and the love of God. And forgive us when we waste it. Forgive us when we go back to those old ways of thinking that we need to measure up to somebody else's standard. Lord, for those people that have found themselves feeding pigs today, which all of us do from time to time, will you help them to repent? And by that, I mean turn and come back home. Lord, I know that you love us. I pray that we will learn to live in the love and the grace that you have given us. And make this place feel like home. In Jesus' name I pray.